You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Dave Nee. He's one of the founding partners of the Other Change of Hobbit Bookstore in Berkeley, California. Thank you for speaking with me, Dave. Hey, thanks for calling. Well, it seems like you're having a busy day today, and that's a good thing in the book business. Is this a, a regular experience for you? Um, it's been a relatively uh, recent experience. Uh, things were slow for quite a while, and Barnes & Noble closed about three months ago over here, and we've had a surge in business. Well, that's great to hear that the independent bookstores are making some inroads on the chain bookstores. Do you know why Barnes Noble closed? Um, there are a lot of rumors as to why they closed, but I suspect is that the the rent was just way too high to support the kind of bookstore that they were trying to trying to hold in Berkeley. So tell me a little bit about this other change of Hobbit. Now, I'm a guy who used to go to the change of Hobbit when it was over on Westwood Boulevard, and uh, Harlan Ellison was inclined to sit in the window and write stories. Mm-hmm. So how did you come into being? Well, we came into being because we were friends with uh, Sherry Gottlieb, who was the Hobbit, the, uh, the woman who founded A Change of Hobbit way back when, in 72, I believe. And in 1976, um, there was a Westercon in Santa Monica, which is where basically close right next door to to where Change of Hobbit was at the time. Um, And Sherry came up to us knowing who we were and asked us um, at our uh, dealer's table if we wanted to open a bookstore in Berkeley. And at that point, we were just operating out of a out of a box and going to the local science fiction club and doing mail order. And we hadn't really, really thought about opening a storefront. And that kind of pushed us all over the edge. Um, and within a year, we uh, opened up. In fact, we opened up uh, completely coincidentally the same week as the uh, strange movie Star Wars first aired. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's in fact, it was our treat to ourselves having finished everything and, and planned to open. And we went to see... You know, there was this little rumor that there was this new movie coming around, and we'd seen some preview footage, and we thought, you know, it'd be a fun thing to go see this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you've tracked well. They just uh, Star Wars just uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary, yeah. and you must have as well. Exactly. I, I, I've got to ask, uh, how do you feel having outlasted the original? That's kind of an unusual circumstance. It's kind of sad, actually. Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, they have. They had um, problems with with you know the usual things that afflicted um, an independent bookstore, but they also had problems with the landlord and problems with you know a slowdown in sales back in in 1992. I think that's when they finally closed. Um, so um, we were very very sad to see see that store go, um, and we've basically clung on to existence. Um, in the last decade or so, um, relying on a good core of customers. Do you, do you sell on many books through the web? We sell some books through the web, but it's not our primary source of income. 
Really? That's now that's interesting. I talked to the gentleman at Dark Delicacies, and they do a, a, mm-hmm. a banging web business. So, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, events at your store. Do you have a lot of events, author events, at your store? We try to have, uh, on the average, at least one appearance a month, sometimes two or three. And how do you manage to get these? Are these local authors or are these nationally touring um, authors? Sometimes it's a local, sometimes it's a nationally touring author. Um, occasionally, well, in the, and oddly, in the last month, we've had signings for people whose first novels, um, or, or about to have a signing for, uh, people who've just had a first novel out. Um, one of them's an old friend of the store's, Mark Ferrari, and he was doing a quick coming through tour for his uh, Book of Joby, which has been in the works for about eight years, um, and was going to see that finally out. And then um, we were contacted by the publisher um, for Jeff Carlson, who will be doing a signing here in a few weeks. So it it varies a lot. Can you tell me... uh about some of the the vagaries and, and the, the strangeness and, and what you do in order to survive by being a genre fiction bookstore? Um, actually, being a genre fiction bookstore, I think, has, has made it much easier to survive than, than a general bookstore. We don't compete on the same kind of terms with the big chains, um, and there are people who do recognize that a store that has the kind of concentration that a science fiction bookstore or a mystery bookstore or a romance bookstore um, is going to cater to their needs in a better way than the big general bookstores are going to. Um, we are able to, uh, well, able. Um, we do try to maintain a full backlist on our shelves. It's not always possible, but we do try to keep it there. Wow, and that's course, hard. And we do have a large selection of secondhand books since a lot of the field is out of print. So people know that, that they can come here and they can uh, usually, if not find what they want, they'll find somebody at the counter who'll know um, something about the kind of book that they're looking for or the specific book that they're looking for. We do do quite a bit of sales um, through Abe Books um, of some more collectible items. That was my next question. Talk, tell me about your collectible stock, what you have in stock right now that's exciting because my readers are the kind of people who, and listeners are the kind of people who are probably going to get right on the web or on the phone and <laughs> pick it up. Well, we've got probably about 1,500 titles listed at the moment. Wow. Um, now, are those all on the web? Those are all at a books. Um, well, if you do a search on Other Change of Hobbit there, you can, uh, you can pull up what we have listed. Um, I can't actually tell you a whole lot of what's up there, up on the net at the moment because it it, it um, changes from week to week. Well, what are um, your most we exciting do have acquisitions? Some first edition Stephen King material. We have um, ordinary stuff like uh, first edition of Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card. Um, we have also a bunch of. Um, other odd things that just happened to have come through. Um, well, like what? Well, we had, um, oh, what's the name of that? Yes, uh, the book we sold uh, about a, a week ago was the Codex Seferianus. Wow, I wanted one of those. It, Damn. It was an art book that was published um, in the U.S. by, by Abbeville uh, quite a while ago, a couple, couple decades ago. Um, it's quite a gorgeous book. Um, completely in a made-up language, um, with with a lot of really weird illustrations. 
Um, it's a fantastic book. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I wrote about it on my website. Now, do you have any more? <laughs> I, I'd be interested, <laughs> I'm seriously. We only have the one. <laughs> Damn. Well, that's a that's a really unusual book to come across. Oh yeah, that's what I was figuring. You know, that's uh, the kind of weird stuff we might have at any given time. Well, that's great. Now, tell me, do you stock a lot of uh, small press books? Do you we have, um, yeah, we have quite a few small press titles. Um, things from Subterranean, um, Nesfa Press, um, Nightshade. Although Nightshade is going a little more above ground since they've started to put out some mass markets. Yeah, I saw that. They had their first mass market mm -hmm. paperback party. Yeah. I thought that was pretty shocking was and good. Like, uh, an interesting little breakthrough for them. Yeah. Um, and um, we have Tachyon Press, who are our local press. Um, and Golden Griffin. And Golden Griffin. Oh, yeah. Um, and we used to stock Misha Merlin when, we, when they were still around. So tell me, uh, how do you feel about this, uh, the consolidation that's happening within the publishing world, uh, where there's almost, uh, there's like about three publishers left? In the long run, it can't be a good thing. It's, it's like having one or two major publishers is just the same as having one or two major book selling chains. Um, it's not good for any, any art form um, for there to be one controlling source of, of publication. Is there are there any short term benefits for you as a bookseller? Um, not really. <laughs> um, what we're starting to see is is um, actually there's a really bad thing that's happening right now, and, and these giants are duking it out with each other, and you're getting everything published within the same um, two week span, so that we have a crush for um, new book displays for about two weeks and then nothing coming in for about two weeks. Wow, now that must that must uh, impact your retail space, eh? Oh yeah, it does uh, It does quite a bit, you know, and, and one of the things the publishers don't understand is that it really helps for there to be a constant flow of books coming through because that keeps people coming in from week to week. Sure, I want to go through and browse the bookstore mm -hmm. once a week at least to see what new cool stuff is there for me to like, spend my disposable income on. And if that half, half that handful of, of publishers puts them all out the same week, only a few of those titles are actually going to get optimal display. Uh, can you talk about uh, keeping your sales force educated? Because you're dealing in specialty literature, and I'm sure a lot of your patrons probably feel they know as much as you do about this stuff. Um, actually, they come here because us old farts actually know a bit more about what the history of the field has been. Um, my counter staff may not be quite as, as, as up on it as that, but we, we do try to encourage them to keep reading, and, and I rely upon the, upon the staff and the customers to tell me what's happening and what's hot and the new stuff, because I sure as shooting can't keep track with everything that's coming in at this point. Well, tell me about what releases that you have that are upcoming or just came out that, you are, that you're excited about, and maybe then tell me about some releases that you think that people should buy just because they might be worth a boatload of money in a, in a year. Well, you know, okay, let me, let me address that last issue first. Um, we don't encourage, we have never encouraged speculators. Um, we believe that when you buy a book, you buy the book because you want to read it and because you want to enjoy it, um, and there should be actually no other criteria for buying a book. Um, to buy a book and never crack it and put it on a shelf someplace as an investment, that's, that's just wrong. Um, 
we've often said that we are an adoption agency for books, that we try to bring books into good homes um, where they will be cared for. And part of being cared for is that somebody reads them and likes them. Um, that means, I know, cracking the spine. It means putting eye tracks on the pages. Oh, my God. But it also means <laughs> getting entertained or, yeah. or, or having your brain stretched or not, as the case may be, if you want just brain candy. But in any case, um, we, we have over the years discouraged um, <sighs> speculators. Um, and I know that that has not been good for our bottom line insofar as we don't tend to do the big um, special edition sales to people. But it does mean that we have a loyal clientele that know that, we want, that we're going to try to get them books that they want to read. So tell um, me about books that you're excited about to read. To read. Um, the most exciting books in the last, um, in the last year or so um, that we've run across have tended to be kids' fantasies, oddly enough. Um, and one of those is Unlondon by China Meeville, um, which I think is one of the best books this year. Um, it's a wonder. He usually does a much darker kind of creepy science fantasy novel, and in this case, he's done um, a kind of um, classic kids venturing into an other world fantasy. And in this case, the other world is an underworld beneath London. Um, where dead umbrellas go to rest, or actually not rest, as, as we find out during the course of the book. Boy, the descriptions of the umbrella in that book were so oh, creepy. Great. Oh, yeah, it was like a monster. It was really, really great. And then his turning the convention of there being a chosen one uh, on its head and having, having the girl who isn't the chosen one wind up being the protagonist of the story. It was just great. Um, Another book this year, um, let's see, what else came out? Well, um, last year, I also liked The Thirteenth Tale, which was a more, um, it's gotten more mainstream attention than, than say, China Meeville is ever going to get by Dinah Setterfield out of uh, England. It's kind of a metagothic. Um, it's got... Boy, um, I like that, time, that it, term. <laughs> it's, uh, well, we, we coin them. <laughs> um, it's, it's a gothic novel about gothics. It's also a novel about the art of writing. And on the very second page is a paragraph um, which I use to tell whether somebody's going to like the book or not. And it's about, um, it's basically a first-person narration um, from a young writer talking about her experience reading a book and losing herself in it so much that she falls off of her seating place. Um, and if my reader recognizes themselves in it, I know the books are them. It's, um, as I said, it's pretty much a classic gothic tale with a big creepy old house and a strange family, but it's filled with references to other gothic novels, um, including um, Roald Dahl, which uh, is something that I didn't realize until about halfway through the book. Wow, that sounds great. I, I saw that earlier this year. I, I... Mm -hmm. it, it looks like kind of an ordinary book, but right. actually, if you get into it, it's, it's, much, more, it's much richer than, than you would think, and that's why we, we recommend it. Well, that's great. Thanks. I, I, that's one that, we, that has escaped our notice, and I'm sure my readers will be very interested. Any other suggestions of stuff that's forthcoming that you're looking forward to? Uh, forthcoming. Um, I just heard a rumor from Tachyon that they're going to be publishing the next Thomas Dish novel. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, wow. I'm really looking forward to. And uh, Jacob was just telling me, uh, 
be aware that it's going to be really vicious about the publishing industry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> I can't wait. That sounds like fun. We've been talking with Dave Nee. He's the part owner, proprietor of The Other Change of Hobbit in Berkeley, California. You can find them at otherchangeofhobbit.com. And go to their website and look at 15, or go through ABE Books, search for Other Change of Hobbit, and look at 1,500 collector's items that will probably cause you to drain your bank book dry. Thank you for speaking with me, Dave. Okay, thanks for calling. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>